0: Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash guest. So good evening this day. Full day today, New Year's Day. Do you feel different? <laughs> a friend of mine texted me earlier and said, "Strangely, it feels just like 2017." You know, <laughs> what's the big deal? You know, sort of little little joke there. I just want to read you uh, something. <clears throat> In a Peanuts cartoon, Charlie Brown sits down at Lucy's advice booth and begins telling her all about his pain and suffering. Lucy cuts him off immediately, saying, Chuck, the problem with you is you. And she extends her hand for her $0.05 payment. (laughs) Charlie Brown pays her and then shouts, that's not a real answer. Lucy responds, I just point out the problem, Chuck. I don't give answers. (laughs) Charlie wanders away. Charlie Brown wanders away, more disheartened and confused. But in some way, Lucy's advice is true, isn't it? The problem with us is us. (laughs) Have you noticed that here? It's like, it's all so beautiful and dear, frolicking and And the great food and the sun and nothing to do but just be peaceful. (laughs) (laughs) And so many things obscure it, doesn't it? It's like so hard to be joyful, right? (laughs) And we start to see, wait, maybe this has nothing to do about the conditions. It's like, where is the drama coming from, right? Lucy's right, their problem with us is us. I think that's a really big breakthrough moment. (laughs) Right? It's like where we take power back. You know? Where we kind of grow up right there. And we go, well, this is good news in, in a way. The problem is us, and we can work on that. You know, I can't fix everybody else. That's the hopeless. Hopeless. However, I can work with my mind. And so, I want to share some about how to work with our mind and how to how to plant the seeds of happiness. I mean that's what we really want. and I shared a little another little cartoon last night someone had just sent me, and um, it was about like planting seeds of joy, seeds of happiness. What we do now impacts the future. The thoughts we hold, the views, the beliefs are. Our actions in the world impacts, right? You throw a, a stone into a pond and it ripples out farther and farther. Everything we do now has impact. We are doing really beautiful practice here. It may not feel beautiful. In fact, often it doesn't, right? I remember I used to go on long retreats, um, a lot, actually. But when I was a bit younger, I'd go long, long retreats. And I would, um, my family, this was like 20 years ago, my family never knew what I was doing. <laughs> In fact, strangely, my mother, she would feel guilty. Say, gosh, you had such a bad childhood, you can't even function. Oh, and she would like, cry. And I'd say, no, no, I'm really, this is really good what I'm doing. It's that what you think? You know, so I think you don't even want a partner. You isolate yourself. <laughs> you don't talk. You where's this thing? Where are you? you you're in silence? You need to be in the world. You know, get a job, function. You know. <laughs> and I would just look at her and I would think, wow, that's one perspective. I I hear what you what how you could think of what I'm doing on meditation retreat. And so then I would go on these long retreats and they'd come back and they would, some people, they would feel resentful. Hope you had a nice vacation. <laughs> and I would think, do you know what I just been through? <laughs> I need a vacation now. <laughs> you tried cleaning your mind for three months, it was a battlefield. <laughs> and they would just look, okay, it doesn't sound that hard. <laughs> <laughs> and it is hard, right? At the end of the day, you put in a full... I mean, there's exhaustion. Like, oh, get me out of this. I just want to go... You know, 8.30 comes and we're just... Like, we've worked out. We've worked 30 hours. (laughs) It's like cleaning your mind, working with this mind, feeling our emotions, being present. You know, it takes a lot. Thank goodness we don't talk and do other things. Then you really would be tired right? If you were, you know, working and engaging on top of all this, what you're experiencing. So there's something about that, that is like, wow, it's really important work that that we do here. And as we think about, you know, moving into the world and how we want to live, how do you want to live your life? This is a very important question. It's important at this time of year I teach a class in Oakland that I, uh, I do every January. It's at our center in downtown Oakland. It's called the 30-day mental cleanse. But then on the first night, I look at everybody, and I say, this is really the 30-year cleanse. I just tricked you, right, saying it's the 30-day. But this is really a 30-year program. I know people don't really like that. They're like, I thought I was on the seven-day retreat. <laughs> And you could get a lot done in seven days. You could have a lot of breakthroughs. You could have a lot of breakthroughs in one moment. That's that's not to negate that. But what we're looking at here is the long haul. Right? We're looking at what do we want to do with our lives? How do we want to live? And I think this is a a question that all of us have to, to think over deeply. What do how do we live now? sometimes you have to do an inventory you know, what am I and that's part of the waking up when I was on retreat you know, don't you notice that your mind does a life review here (laughs) so painful it can start sometimes with first grade you know the the sort of humiliations that happen all along the way, right? <laughs> or you know, the 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 triggers, the 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 failures we perceive, you know, and it all went wrong in fifth grade. It started there. And we had to kind of relive these moments. And often our reliving is also our own actions. Right? We relive things that we've said, things that we've done, relationships that it's like, oh. I mean, I would just sit like this so many days, like, oh my God, I cannot believe I said that. I cannot believe I acted like that, right? And we kind of, that's part of the cleansing that we have to go through is, in the wisdom of this moment, we see actions that we, we things that we did when we were confused, basically, right? And we think, oh, I, was, I, I used to always have this big list Like, I need to call that person. I need to return that shirt I took that day from that friend's house. Not that I stole, but things I I was just unconsciously doing. Things that we're, we're not aware of until we go on retreat. And then as we start to wake up, our actions become, you know, we look at where they're, what's motivating us, really? Like, what is our motivation? This is really key. What, do, what are my intentions? What am I saying? What am I doing? And what, do I, what result do I hope to achieve? I think that's the, the important thing. What do I hope to achieve by doing what I'm doing? By the work that I do in the world, what do I hope to achieve? And it's just to, start, just to look at it and um, think about it in terms of is this planting seeds of happiness? Will this path bear fruit? Are these actions onward leading? Sometimes, um, I I was doing the meta retreat here a couple of weeks ago. And with the meta retreat, we keep phrases going from the moment we wake up to the, we go to bed. It's like, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I Pretty hard, huh? Sounds really intense, right? And everyone at the first few, you know, the first hour after we gave the instruction, we're like, okay, everybody, you can do this. Like every second when we're eating, when we're, you know, we're trying to keep the phrases going. When I laughed and I said, oh, but you already know how to do this. You're doing it. Something is going moment to moment. You already have your own mantra. What is that? This is just replacing that. Right, we're inclining the mind in a different direction. But you're saying something every moment, over and over, and it's important to start recognizing and and understanding what what am I saying? And that's part of the waking up. It's almost like the background music of our life. We don't hear it, and then as you get more and more subtle and aware, you feel the current. Like what is playing? Wow, that's not what I. That's not helpful. We start to turn that down. Right? And that's so much of the work that we're doing is cultivation. We're cultivating sort of the the garden of the heart. Mental development is a word bhavana. It's a word used with Buddhist practice. where we're sort of we're gardeners. And we got to get in there in that yard. And if you leave your yard for a long time, years and you don't tend to it, what it doesn't look so good. And also things attract there, right? You wander out there and there's little Coke bottles and cigarette butts and you're like, How did all this get in there? Right? It happens in, you know, in places we don't go, you know, don't go in a room for a long time, your attic, garage. It looks way worse a year later than, you know. So our minds are like that. And you and you've been very courageous here to come and you turn the light on and you and you look and it, and it's, it's and when we look we see the 10,000 joys and we see the 10,000 sorrows right of uh, how we've lived and where we are and who we are and what and we we start to see what what we've been practicing and then the the beautiful thing is that we can begin to transform and cultivate something new so for me buddhism was always very optimistic The first time I heard a talk was when I was 23. And um, as I got to know the teachings more and more, it's been 20 years now, as I got to know the teachings more and more, it was was hopeful. It was saying, you're already awakened, you just forgot. That's pretty good, isn't it? Like, oh, right, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of maybe being like, You know, you're born really bad and you can spend the rest of your life on your knees begging, you know, crossing the desert on your knees and still never get there. Right. This is more hopeful. Like I'm already awakened. I just forgot. So this whole process is remembering this remembering. We've been using that word a lot. Remembering, right. Bringing back, bringing into wholeness, the sort of remembering who you are. And I remember that was something very profound that I write about. I have a book that uh, just came out a few weeks ago. It's called A Fierce Heart, Finding Strength, Courage, and Wisdom in Any Moment. And it's really a a testimony, testament, what's the word, about the power of compassion and the heart to meet the difficulties in our lives. It's meant to be... um, sort of simple but it got more complex as everything does when you try to accomplish something and it became more personal but I tell a story about uh, when I went to my first retreat and I used to be a Hindu, used to practice in a Hindu tradition that I I love very much with the Hindu guru, self-realization fellowship, some of you might know Paramahasa Yogananda but they never told me how to meditate, I would go to three hour meditations and we would enter in in silence. And then they would say, Just love God. And I would think, okay, I can do this three hours of this city. Love God. Love God. And of course, what would I do? Think about all my problems for three hours, right? Or I would go crazy for the first two and finally out of fatigue, it would fall into some kind of exhausted <laughs> presence, I think, you know. So I did that for a long time, but that wasn't as effective as I would hoped after a long time. I thought, I don't think I'm getting it. It doesn't sound like what everybody else is experiencing in these great mystical books. So I thought, I need a teacher. I needed to understand some instruction. I'm not doing well on my own. This was before all the apps, you know. <laughs> there was nothing, right? There was like three Dharma books and Barnes and Nobles, you know. And uh, that was it. so much has happened in 20 years. like, wow, you know, you can really, really become more of a self-taught person now, but there was nothing. So I remember I went down to Yucca Valley and um, it was before this hall was finished and they had this tr- retreat. I didn't even know who it was by. I didn't I went because I was desperate for help. So and I remember sitting in a group, Uh, in the desert there was about 150 participants and it was a 10-day retreat for beginners so none of us knew anything about meditation and jack cornfield was leading it and he looked at all of us that night and he said oh nobly born remember who you are and when he said that i tears because i was so miserable and i was so lost i really had drove down to the retreat i just broke up a relationship i was hysterically driving for 10 hours from oakland and la and chain smoking and drinking diet mountain dew and <laughs> like i when i talk about arriving at retreats in an ambulance that was me i remember getting there like i need help where do you get help for your mind you know i was at the right place you know like we, we can do this, you know. And what I saw was the other 150 people were the same. Like, how do I get, how, like, I can't stop my head. <laughs> it's so painful in here. I remember my roommate and I were just talking. I was like, you too. Yeah, your head hurts. My head hurts. What is this? But when he spoke that night so eloquently, remember who you are, it t- it touched a memory in me. Those practices, that stillness, the smell of the desert, it was like, oh yes, like some ancient memory and that brought all the grief. It was like tears started flowing. I didn't even know why I was crying. And I was sad and I walked over those 10 days. I was like, oh, yes, I remember some current that's beyond the madness. Like, I am more than this insanity. I'm more than the trauma. I'm more than my mother's problems and my father's. I was like, yes, there's something so much bigger going on here. This is a small story within a vast one. And I felt that vastness, like, oh, yes. And I... And that moment, I was, um, you could say, it it awakened something in me. And um, after that retreat, I went up on this little hill, and I ordained myself. And I was all passionate, you know, fired up. And and I remember saying, I'll live these teachings until the end. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful what you wish for, you know. Little did I know what would be, you know, so many challenges to that, you know. And and so much beauty. And I thought it would be short. See, that's why I declared it to the end. Maybe a year I'll be, yeah, a good year. I'll go to this three-month retreat they talk about, no problem, right? And then, wow, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and more layers. And also what I discovered in all of that and what I write about a lot is that at the end of the day, it comes back to my heart. You know, I've met a lot of great teachers. I've been exposed to a lot of teachings. I've had blessings in that regard. A tremendous access to um, many different things in the last 20 years. But the people who have stood out as the most important are the ones with the heart. You know, people can come and give you a great talk on the nature of mind and emptiness, right? But if I can't feel your heart, It's like, wow, there's, I don't know. I don't know if I can follow that. You know, it has to be connected to that. And so tonight I wanted to talk about, as I'm giving a talk a little bit late in the retreat, I decided with my book, I have 16 chapters and I just pick one that feels right about a half an hour before I walk down here but i already knew i said it would be the last one toward the end in the chapter called for the benefit of all beings sort of the end of the journey in a way as we kind of marking our time here and the new year's turning into new year's day and here we go right this beginning and we're always ending and we're always beginning as soon as you get to the top of one mountain you look out and there's another one Like, oh that's been my dharma path a lot so when i think about this quality for the benefit of all beings i think about the seeds of happiness what i want to plant in the world and when i talk about for the benefit of all beings i like to talk about the that quality it's called bodhicitta right bodhicitta And Bodhi means enlightened. Chitta is like heart, mind, right? So it's the enlightened mind is this quality that says for the benefit of others. Now it goes deeper than that. It says yes, be you know we we all want to be compassionate in the world, but it it sets us on a different course because it said in essence, this highest form is that I will awaken for the benefit of others that I will live a spiritual life for the benefit of others. Not just that I'll help the homeless person on the street. That's beautiful. That's kindness. We want to do that. But it goes deeper because it says, I will frame my spiritual life. I will motivate myself on this path. When I fall into doubt or the hindrances, I'll remember this quality and keep walking. So it becomes your light that you carry for the benefit of all beings. I'll awaken, and it's a beautiful aspiration because it deposits that the highest being that we can, uh, that's in us, that we want to unveil and remember our true nature is that of a, a fully awakened being, whatever that means. I, for me, it means somebody who has fully opened their heart. That's pretty simple. <coughs> But yet the people who have if you look on the planet Dalai Lama and all these different people wow, one heart can do a lot of good one open heart can do a lot of good so um, so I talk about this quality a lot and um, for the benefit of all beings i I like to also talk about uh, where this kind of teaching really came into Buddhism. And I'd like to talk about Shantideva and tell a story about Shantideva and his journey. Shantideva was uh, uh, born around the 8th century. He's from India, an Indian uh, Buddhist monk. And he had a similar life to uh, Siddhartha, uh, Gautama Buddha. He grew up with a lot of uh, wealth and was um, in a wealthy family, born into a royal family. And then he had this vision of this Buddha Shri, one day, and at that moment he decided to renounce everything. Right, like okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go and and study right. So I renounce this holy. Uh, I'll, I'll go to the holy na- life, renouncing my princely life. And at the time in India, it's like ancient India was so thriving. They had Nalanda University, this great university. And it's interesting in pilgrimaging there, they found the ruins many years ago, so it's a very prestigious site now that you can go to. It's just the foundations of this great university. And all these scholars were there studying all the different lineages kind of came together there. So you had uh, the famous Naropa, which Naropa University is um, named after, after. He was also a Siddha and a, reported to be fully enlightened. And here you have um, Shanti Deva, And so he goes to the school there, like, you know, and studying and practicing. But he got a really bad reputation. He was teased all the time. He was made fun of all the time, you know, kind of picked on. And they said, uh, I was reading one story, and it said that where where he went, they used to make fun of him. And they said that he had perfected three qualities: sleeping, eating, and shitting. <laughs> <laughs> His fellow monks, and they thought you don't know anything, Shantideva, because he would just kind of more talk about the heart all the time. And they were like scholastic, you know, like you don't know anything. So they, to, to embarrass him one day, they had a huge kind of uh, event, and they said, we'll nominate him to give the talk, and it'll be so ridiculous. So they said, you're going to give this big talk and everything, and he said, okay, okay. It never seemed to bother him that you know, people made fun of him. And so he sat up on the stage the day of the talk and all the monks were laughing, thinking, wow, he's going to give the worst Dharma talk. He never studies. He knows nothing like we know, you know, on and on. And then they said that Shanti David then proceeded to give this amazing discourse. And he laid out this path of the Bodhisattva, Bodhicitta, called the Bodhisattva way of life. This text is venerated and loved by many great masters. The Dalai Lama reads it every day. He's given many teachings on the Bodhisattva way of life, especially in the Tibetan tradition. So they say that he, he... as he was sitting, he started uh, elevating. Uh, what do you call that word? Um, levitating. levitating. And all the monks were like, wow, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so as he's giving a talk, like this fervor, you know, it's like reaching. He's, just, he's describing infinite compassion and the mind of the heart, the mind of love and benefiting others and all these, a whole guidebook mm-hmm. of the way to, a way to live that is at the end about awakening. It's the ultimate planting of a seed to hold the consciousness of that. For the benefit of all beings, I will quickly awaken. So then they say at the end of the talk, he just floated out of his seat and disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. And then they all wrote all everything down and uh, that, that was not to be seen again. <laughs> So there you go. That was the legend of Shanti Deva. Who knows if these things are true, but it's entertaining. <laughs> so this book leaves us, you know, and it's so what was interesting about the Bodhisattva Way of Life was that it was the first book I ever bought. It's a hard book to understand. It's written in stanzas, it's not written as like a biography, like, hello, I'm Shanti Deva here. It's <laughs> written as, you know, it's it's it was a, a book written, Tibetans ne- only recently started binding books. They were loose leaf, you know, just one stanza and then another, sentences by sentences. So it has that form. But what it talks about mostly is that the idea to have that kind of heart compassion accelerates our spiritual life. Because we use the heart as this avenue to freedom, right? We generate this quality. We generate this quality. May I be a benefit? And when you think about living, you think about this quality. What do you value? What do you want to do here? It's also impermanent. You know, we're living in a very fragile ecosystem right now. We have pass all signs of danger. Danger. We're just kind of like, okay, let's see what happens. We're we're gonna keep going with it, right? Because what else do you do? You get up. You keep going, right? But within that, there's something to wake up and notice. If you haven't noticed, wake up and notice. Like this isn't permanent. Here, beings appear. They disappear. And it it uses this wisdom that the Buddha is pointing to, all is impermanent, all is impermanent. We forget that. It feels like it's all so solid, right? feels so like it's going to last. But it's not that way. Things arise and pass. So this is a precious time for us Crazy Horse, a great Native American, I don't know, activist, teacher, prophet. He wrote, I see a time of seven generations when all colors of mankind will gather under the sacred tree of life and the whole world will become one sacred circle again. This is our time. We are the seventh generation. There is something happening, I think, on a, on a level that's speeding things up. Maybe it's always been like this. Probably has. It's always felt like that probably with every, every generation. But this quality is what I want to talk about more and more. The quality of bodhicitta. And also to understand that what's needed with it is also faith. We need a certain amount of faith to walk the path. I want to read you a little bit. Um, this is from the great Bodhisattva Samantabhadra. It's from the Avatamasaka Sutra, which is one of Thich Nhat Hanh's favorite sutras, the Mahayana Sutra. For those of you who don't know who ma- what Mahayana is, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's another, another aspect. So it is said, faith is the basis of the path, the mother of virtues, nourishing and growing all good ways, cutting away the net of doubt, freeing from the torrent of passion, revealing the unsurpassed road of ultimate peace. When faith is undefiled, the mind is pure, obliterating pride It's the root of reverence and the foremost wealth. In the treasury of religion faith is generous faith can joyfully enter the buddha's teachings faith can increase knowledge and virtue faith can ensure arrival at enlightenment faith can go beyond the pathways of demons and reveal the unsurpassed road of liberation faith is the unspoiled seed of virtue Faith can grow the seed of enlightenment. Faith can increase supreme knowledge. Faith can reveal all Buddhas. Faith is most powerful, very difficult to have. It's like in all worlds having the wondrous, wish-fulfilling gem. So I bring this up this quality of faith, because in so much of our culture, we have so much doubt. We very much doubt ourselves. We're like, who, me? I'm not even, I'm the one with the broken wings, (laughs) right? We don't see our power. We don't recognize our potential. And I think that's why sometimes in our spiritual life, we give up on it. We think that that road is too vast. Well, who they're talking about is someone not who I am. I don't have Buddha nature. I'm the broken one. I'm the wounded one. I have addictions. I have problems. I have, you know, we go on and on, right? Of All the things that we're not. And we miss that we are nobly born. We miss that that seed is in us. So for a lot of the work that I like to do is to remind people of their power through their heart. It's not you that's the most powerful, it's this. It's your, your innateness. The me is just the personality. The I, 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 Don't you get tired of it a little on retreats? One day I was just so tired of my mind. I was on this long retreat because every thought I caught it would go, me. I would be fine. Everything would be lovely. And then it was out of the emptiness. I. And the suffering would come right after that. The moment I thought, I, me, me, I, mine. And that's mostly what we're doing all day long. Right? But that's like, we just get caught in that. But there's something bigger that I'm trying to point to. There's a bigger story than that. The little I, me, mine, that's like, Okay, we can put that over here for a moment and then step into the vastness of our true nature. And that vastness is what this bodhicitta quality awakens deeper in us, grows in us. That's where the seed is planted. Because the I, me, the little me, it can't handle bodhicitta. For the benefit of others, it goes, I have too many problems. I can't even think. It goes like that, right? So it, it it hits up against the self-centered part. What do you expect from me? I, I, I. It goes right into that. But the bodhicitta that we're talking about, this quality, it steps into the bigger story here. It goes for the for the ultimate view, right? Our big self, space, right? The part of us that sees where... We're we're bigger than our story. A friend sent me uh, a picture, and it was of this really beautiful old star. And they said, I found this old picture of you, Spring. (laughs) And then I looked at it and said, this is the picture of all of us, really. Right? Our true nature, bigger than the, so easy to get fixated in the little story we tell all day long. You know what I mean by that? You know, it's so painful, too. It's a prison that drives us to madness. Because I think we know the vastness of our being. And when we go in the prison and shut the door, it just crushes something. And so we, we can step out of that. We, st- we need to step out of it for the benefit of others. Because as one makes their exit, it shows the way for others. Right, as one remembers, it helps others to remember. When I I always tell my Sangha in Oakland, I'm here to remind you of your beauty, it's my duty. I remind and I say it like a little mantra, I'm here to remind you of your beauty, it's my duty to remind you of your beauty. Don't forget, remember, and then together we help each other remember. We have to remember our innate goodness. No one else will do that work for you. Sometimes you can if you have a nice mom and dad. They'll help you remember. But at the end of the day, it's you. It's you in your own mind. So a few years ago... um, I have a I have a chapter called Remember who You Are. A few years ago, I went on a pilgrimage with a group of other Buddhist teachers. Some of you might know Temple Smith. he teaches here a lot a good friend. <laughs> I know you know Molly. <laughs> uh, we went uh, we decided to do, and I, I've been feeling the need for another one. I keep, I was trying to talk Alexis into it. I was like, come on, Alexis, then let's do another pilgrimage. Um, and you know, we went to all the holy sites and India and different places and where the Buddha was born and where the Buddha died and all these different places. And we ended up spending about a month in Bodh Gaya. And for some of you know, been to Asia, Bodh Gaya is the seat of the uh, Mahabodhi temple. And it has a, they say, a piece of the tree was taken from the original Bodhi tree and replanted in this beautiful park. And, but it's in Bihar. And Bihar is the poorest state in all of India. And there's no mistake that it would be there, that the seed of enlightenment would be in Bodhgaya, which is surrounded, honestly, is very difficult piles of trash, sick animals everywhere, and people in very destitute situation, begging, living. It's really, really intense to see. Right, And as you walk into the temple, I remember I was going into the Bodhi Temple and this man he had no legs and only one arm. And he just held his arm onto my leg. It was like, like I just looked down for a long time. And I had already given away all my rupees, everything, shawls, scars. But I just thought, you know, he doesn't need anything. So I really stopped and like leaned down for a while. And I just said some prayers. But it was that this is... The Fierce Heart is about how do we bloom in that mud? We, you know, it's like, wow, this is all going on around and we can somehow, here's the, the, the most spiritual place for the Buddhist pilgrims in the middle of this kind of chaos, right, that surrounds it. And I, I think there's something really beautiful about that and complex, and so we were going there every day. We had our little group. And, and what's beautiful about the park is there's kind of this big grassy area. And there's the Bodhi tree. And there's uh, like almost like a raceway around the top of it where, I don't know, 1,000 to 3,000 people are moving very quickly, circumambulating it and you see all these people different traditions and vietnamese monks nuns catholics you know hippies everyone's like going around and around you know chanting every type of prayer you could hear mantra prayers and so we would go there every day and we would talk and reflect and we would meet other people there and we would sit in the park for hours sometimes meditating and you know drinking tea And so one day I looked up and I, before we left, I said, I want to do a thousand and eight prostrations and the prostrations are, you know, these full bows that you do. And there was all these people prostrating maybe at least a thousand monks there. And, uh, and so it was very spiritual place in that way. All these, all the sincerity of devotion so I got up the next morning and I went and I got a board. It was an empty board next to this Tibetan woman who, she must have been 90. I, I, I can't tell, but wow, she was powerful. She was going full with the bows. And the bows are hard, actually. You, you know, you, you're, you're putting your forehead and you're putting your heart and your hands and you're going flat. And then you pull yourself up with your abs, basically. <laughs> right? So you're flat on the ground and then you come straight up to standing and then you go down again. Right? And so um, I was like, I'm going to do a thousand and eight out here. And, and I get my board. I do about 30 and I'm tired. You know, I'm like, <laughs> wow, this is hard. <laughs> it's going to be a long day, right? <laughs> this rate. And so as I'm looking at the tree and I could hear somebody chanting the Heart Sutra, which is one of my favorite sutras Gate, Gate, Paragate, Parasamgate, Bodhisattva. This Prajnaparamita's mantra, gone beyond, wisdom beyond, right? The wisdom beyond. And it's called the Heart Sutra, right? Which is like the heart of it. Like this wisdom, vast wisdom that can hold hold it all. And so I started to wonder, why am I out here bowing? It's hot, getting sweaty, you know? And my friends were walking around, circumambulating. And so I would be in these very deep moments, looking at the tree doing and i would hear go springers and i would look up and i would say like okay you know they were rooting me on taking a few photos right i'm like i'm in my deep moment here you guys i'm trying to understand what i what is this about you know <laughs> it's like, I started to lose, lose the faith that I had. Like, why am I even, why am I a Buddhist? What is this? You know, I started to look around and go, I don't know about any of this. Like, all these monks and nuns, and it was the whole thing seemed very weird. My friends walking by saying springers. I was, I, I was like, I don't, am I faking this? Is this all fake? Can you even get enlightened? What, you know, I just, I had this huge doubt. I don't, I can't do this. I'm from, I'm from a bad neighborhood. You know, this doesn't, I don't even see any other black people out here. I'm the only woman. I don't know. No, I don't, I I can't do this. And I, I kept bowing, but I started to get mad and frustrated. And I was like, what am I bowing to? What am I bowing to? But I kept prostrating. And they say in that tradition that bows, those prostrations actually purify all negative action done with your body. So, rage is very, very uh, common that people will be raging while they're prostrating as these energies are purified. And um, so I was getting mad, really mad. And uh, then I would look at the other people around, and they all seemed so jolly, you know, doing their vows. And then people would come by with the incensors, huge, you know, incense balls and chai tea. So I kept being out there for a few hours, not understanding what am I bowing, but starting to get distraught. So I did about 400, and I collapsed and decided to go back to my hotel, and I didn't feel like talking that night. I was very contemplative, like, what is this about? Is this real? And so the next day, I got up early again. I was the first one at the gate, ran out to my board, and uh, there was already a, a people- coming. It was a gonna be a big day out there on the prostration, you know, circuit. And <laughs> It was kind of like a marathon. It was just heads bobbing and going and all kinds of, and there was a, a, a whole group coming in to start all their prayers. Like uh, maybe they look like um, they're maybe Korean Zen community. Like had gray robes and there was like a hundred coming in and they started to chant and they hit the wood. It was beautiful sound. So it was kind of rhythmic, you know, it was like a little, so we're going, you know, kind of. And again, this, who? what am I bowing to? Why am I doing this? And I started crying then getting really frustrated. and all these memories started to come as I'm doing it. And I got the purification aspect now. and all these things like, oh, you're not good enough or did you who do you think you are? That came a lot. Who do you think you are? Right? You don't even know what this is about. You don't, you know, it was like, but then I started to feel my heart. And I was like, no, but I do know what it's about. I do know. And that bodhicitta started to come stronger. I was like, but I do know this is for others. This is not just for me. And I started to almost like a little fight back came. I started to bow and I was getting faster and i was getting stronger the bows this time i wasn't feeling weak i was like bowing with a ferocity like i will bow to this quality of goodness that all beings can access this is not just for some this is our nature and i kept bowing i kept bowing and the tears were really flowing it was getting so hot then the sun was right over our head and um and I started to just feel this warrior heart. And the, the sound of the Korean, the clap, was making it more dramatic, you know? <laughs> I was like, okay, you know? But what I, when I got out of that, I finally, as I, I, I was completing it, and I was going, and I was bowing to Bodhicitta, and I said, I've always known I had that quality because I cared. I cared about my own practice, and I cared about others. And I knew, I knew that about myself. And that's what I started bowing to with full bows then. And then the tears were really about the heart and a bowing to the, the kindness and the, the compassion that we all have. So as we come to the end of this, time flies by here. I want to encourage us all to be thinking about this quality. What are you bowing to? What are you giving your heart to? This is the question that we all should be answering now. It's the question of our time. We don't know know how long anything will last anymore. It arises and it passes. But there's something about this the true heart, this love and compassion that's unbreakable. You know, that soul force, you can't stop it. It rises, you know, you can burn everything down and yet still flowers bloom. And that is kind of our own spirit, our own heart. And that's why I write the fierce heart because there's a fierceness in that that has to claim it. It's like you have to claim who you are in a way what you stand for, what you want. And it's a it's not a fierceness that is all angry. It's a fierceness of love. Right? It includes why I like the heart sutra mantra mantra gate gate paragate parasam gate bodhisattva is that Prajna her she her mudra is like this in a way, right? She holds the shadows of it all underworld the heaven realm all together right resting and that's kind of what the heart can do I can't hold all of the insanity but my heart can I already know that it's like I just got to give it over to that and trust compassion can hold all of the greed hatred and delusion and all of the love and the beauty that we open to and so my my deepest wish is that we all open to this together. And so I want to end this talk with uh, a little quote by Martin Luther King, who had a fierce heart. Man, he writes, "If you can't fly, then run. If you can't walk, if you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl." But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Stay on the path. Keep moving forward. Thank you all. i we'll us just sit for a moment.